radio transmission by me, Donald Dean. Make me an island. April has turned to May, spring to summer, and level five to four. Or is that three? There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes, just like the gap in the podcast market where unemployed broadcasters and recovering DJs go home to roost. Home again. As you can hear, today's transmission is, as usual, heavily laden with weight-bearing metaphors and age-old cliches, but in customary fashion, the feelings are strong and the music divine, so if you don't mind, stay right with us and we'll proceed. For the 47th time, would somebody please, please make me an island? we spoke, peace had broken out in that same valley, courtesy of Red Foley, which was the spark that lit Ted Hawkins' musical fire, a flame we followed all the way to its logical burnout conclusion in episode 46. This instrumental version of the same tune comes from the Hawaiian slide guitar of Reverend Lonnie Farris, from the Church of God in Christ in New Orleans, which is where our story today is set. Lonnie Farris plays a supporting role in our tale, which is all about his mentor and our leading man, Reverend or Elder Utah Smith. Despite cutting three of the hottest electric guitar records of the pre-rock and roll years and breaking new ground for the role of preacher as performer, almost nothing had been known about the life of the sanctified electric guitar Reverend Utah Smith until the publication of I Got Two Wings, Incidents and Anecdotes of the Two-Winged Preacher and Electric Guitar Evangelist in November 2008. Up until that point, those three incendiary records had gone the way of so many other radical musical innovations and largely been consigned to history. The blood and fire and brimstone in Utah Smith's song, however, definitely does not belong in the footnotes. Instead, there's a case to be made for a scenario that puts him at the scene of the explosive moment of rock and roll creation itself, the Big Bang. It's no exaggeration to say his was one of the sparks that lit the flame. The power in his playing, passion in his voice and limitless spirit pouring from his every move was conceived and designed as a means of channeling his God, but in so doing, unintentionally or otherwise, he unleashed an unstoppable force. The game-changing new power source, a Catherine wheel of flying sparks, was the Gibson ES-150 electric guitar. The dream machine came on the market first in 1936, and by 1938, Utah Smith had mastered its dynamics and was adept at using it to elevate his sermons and send his congregation into raptures. There was a roof on the Two Wings Temple on South Tontai Street near the Calliope Housing Project in New Orleans, but from 1938 onwards, it was regularly in danger of being blown off by its resident preacher. Coming to the end of the World War in 1944, 
Utah Smith, riding the crest of a wave with his congregation and church community, saw fit to enter a studio and corral some of that divine raw energy onto acetate. The results were truly explosive. All of Utah Smith's three commercial releases between 1944 and 1953 were variations on the old spiritual I Want Two Wings. His commitment to reinventing this song was as resolute as his faith in the deity that inspired it. The phrase rocking and rolling originally described the movement of a ship on the ocean, but by the time Utah Smith plugged in his amp, it had been colonised to describe the spiritual fervour of black church rituals like that which occurred at the Two Wings Temple whenever Utah Smith was on the pulpit. The drive and spontaneity in his playing perfectly complements his fiery vocal delivery and the soulful sweetness of the voices from the surrounding congregation. Hearts open, flight time. Smith was born in 1906 into threadbare poverty in Cedar Grove, Louisiana, in the countryside outside of Shreveport. Just like Ted Hawkins, he was deserted by his mother as a boy and was raised by his grandmother. Also like Hawkins, the intertwining forces of faith and music would play a critical role in helping him rise above the conditions of his upbringing. The harsh biographical facts, which suggest a sad, bleak childhood, are dispensed with rather quickly by Lynn Abbott in his book 
who chronicles a life lived triumphantly in the face of adversity. He was schooled to the third grade, then took a job as a water boy in the cotton fields before graduating to picking cotton. He later worked in a chicken plant, plucking and cleaning chickens, a job he was quickly fired from. Utah Smith was destined for greater things and spent his early years awaiting that higher calling. The two constants in his troubled early life were his faith and music, and in 1923 he took up the calling and became an evangelist in the Church of God in Christ, usually just called the Holiness or Pentecostal Sanctified Church. He was married in 1929, set up home in Shreveport, but was on the road from 1925, a never-ending journey that lasted most of the way to his death in 1965. His faith had blossomed in tandem with his prodigious talents as a musician. He had taken up harmonica as a teen, soon switching to steel guitar, and finally an electric guitar, which he added to his arsenal of weaponry sometime in 1937. According to his family accounts in Abbott's book, he was one of the first, if not the first, black men to own an electric guitar. By that point, he had spent more than a decade on the road, organising and presiding over his church revival meetings. He had already developed a reputation on the road for his fiery sermonising and showmanship. Music played an integral role in Church of God in Christ services, and Utah Smith was the perfect conduit for its power. I keep referring to the Big Bang, but the analogy fits perfectly the experiment Smith conducted with his guitar's electricity and congregation's senses. Press reports from the late 30s and early 40s compiled by Abbott chronicle the impact the instrument had on the fervour of the congregation. The arrival of this magical instrument is recounted in the book by the son of the founder of the Church of God in Christ in New Orleans, Bishop James Feltus Jr., when he got this electric guitar, he was conducting a revival. And I'll never forget, he put in an order for it and everybody was waiting for it to come. They had just come out and I had never seen one. So many of the people had never seen one. So when it finally did come, he announced he would have it the next night and the people were there. I remember the first time he hit on that guitar. It sounded so good. And he had Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, everybody coming to hear the tent was full and all the grounds were full of people to hear him play that guitar and he turned it up way on high and you could hear it everywhere for a long distance. Play on, Reverend Smith. It's time for a trip. I have good news to bring That is why I say you I share I'm gonna take a trip in an old gospel ship and go riding through the air Oh, I can't skate the way I know I just won't be late I'm gonna spend my time in prayer When my ship come in I'm gonna leave this old world of sin
around the sun and moon I shall be traveling soon And the day is always fast So past the father star Heaven gets a job It's riding through there shame of me you have no ought to be you better have a care if too much fall to find you sure gonna be left behind while I go sailing through the I'm gonna take a trip Stories of wonderment and inspiration are commonplace in Abbott's extensive research and documentation on the effects of the elemental force whipped up by Utah Smith at his revival meetings. The newness of the energy he was unleashing is striking, but, no pun intended, he was already preaching to the converted. And New Orleans was particularly fertile territory in which to conduct such exhilarating musical experiments. After all, jazz had begun in New Orleans, 19th century America's most cosmopolitan city, where the sound of marching bands, Italian opera, Caribbean rhythms and minstrel shows filled the streets with a richly diverse musical culture. Into that melting pot, a newly electrified guitar evangelist so easily blended. Luckily for us, the resulting energy explosion was captured and therefore preserved. In 1947, all roads led to the Two Wings Temple on South Tontai Street, where the earth itself, along with the hearts of the congregation, was moving to a different beat. Every single time, the Minister for Indoor Fireworks brought the heat. Throughout the whole world, 
want to see God ain't pleased. You better seek him down on your knees. For the hand of the Lord is on this land. Oh, yes, it's God's hand. He's traveling this whole land. North and south, east and west, and the sea. He's traveling rich and poor, and running. Thirty-three. These words were revealed from heaven. You're gonna see death everywhere on this land. You're gonna see more death than you ever saw. Men are gonna start another war. And the ground of this land is gonna be sad. Oh yeah, this God might be traveling the torment, not the south, east the west, and the east. Just as impossible it is to separate the singer from the song, so it is with the preacher and his congregation. Smith's performance of Two Wings always varied, and as well as the three studio recordings, there were a couple of live versions which showcased the versatility of both the composition and the singer. The combined energy of singer, choir and congregation reaches fever pitch in this 1947 BBC recording for a programme called The Story of New Orleans Music. proceeds enthusiasm mounts the rhythm quickens and their singing swells as the reverend utah smith says they love their lord and they want to make a noise about it and surely the lord will hear them or so they believe at the peak of their fervor they are looking beyond their simple church beyond the neon lighted two wings with a faith that soars above earth and atom bombs to the green pastures of a future home and so with all the power of their lungs they sing 
Every man's got to lay down and die. Every man, man, got to lay down and die. Every man. Every man. Every man. Every man. Every man. As every man's got to lay down and die rings out, we leave the Reverend Utah Smith, his choir and congregation, like King David, dancing and singing before the Lord in the Two Wings Temple Church of God in Christ, way down in New Orleans, Louisiana. Dancing and singing before the Lord and at the after party in Utah's yard, way down in New Orleans, Louisiana. Even though this musical energy explosion occurred almost a century ago, it's no different in essence to many of the more recent examples worldwide, which has been our bread and butter here on this Make Me an Island series. For torch paper to ignite, as well as a spark, the prevailing conditions need to be just right. The heat generated in the post-war New Orleans melting pot is an essential ingredient in the constitution of Utah Smith's fire and his congregation's cradling of the flame. The sparks that flew under the roof of the two-winged temple were symptomatic of seismic changes in the wider society outside of its walls. The earth that shook to the electric sound vibration would soon be cleaved open as the tectonic plates shifted further to make way for rock and roll itself. The recordings of Utah Smith from the 1940s are precious windows back into that rapidly evolving world just before the Big Bang. The sound we hear reverberates with waves of energy born of true faith and devotion. It's a slice of life, a sonic snapshot of a time and place. It shakes and vibrates to the beat of the Louisiana street from which the energy came and back out into which it was beamed. Soon enough, that same energy would mutate into more secular shapes. But for now, every ounce of praise mustered and note sounded was conjured strictly in the name of the Lord.
Across all the live recordings, the most stable element of the Reverend's sermonising is the steady and unshakable clapping of his congregation. There's echoes of the ring shout to the cacophonous storm they whip up. This was something we heard before when we encountered the sound of Bessie Jones and the Georgia Sea Islanders in a previous Make Me an Island episode. Derived from African culture, the ring shout is a rhythmic combination of music and dance first performed in the United States by African-American slaves, usually as part of a religious ceremony, using only hands and feet as instruments. The hand claps that underpin everything in the music of Reverend Utah Smith is resonant of this ceremonial rhythmic snap. Such strong foundations lets Smith really take off to reach out and upwards with the necessary fervour to make it to the higher ground. In all instances, without fail, he gets there. The combination of that sacred exuberance channeled through this instrument of wonder, aligned to the syncopated rhythm of clapping hands and dancing feet, is an intoxicating mix of fire and brimstone that still blazes like a comet every single time it bursts forth from the speakers.
Sin, sin. Det är So for a long time there were only those six songs on both sides of three single releases in existence but in tandem with the publication of the Lynn Abbott book that's the source of all this information the Case Quarter label out of Montgomery, Alabama compiled an exhaustive set of 18 tracks with links to Reverend Utah Smith and his Church of God in Christ friends including a couple of songs under a pseudonym like that version of Two Wings Flying Home which is listed as Brother Bill Louie. It's a staggering collection of important music, which you can buy for a mere $11 over at Bandcamp. But the handful of recordings that do exist are only a fraction of the story of Reverend Utah Smith and the impact his acts of devotion had on his community. These snippets of sound amount to a mere 50 minutes preserved of an entire life lived with singular passion and commitment. The magnificence of these Ascension songs notwithstanding there's so much more to it. By all accounts, the name Utah Smith was a familiar one on the lips of New Orleanians in the late 40s and all the way through the 1950s. 
as well as hosting his revival meetings coast to coast. From 1945 onwards, the Two Wings Temple was the beating heart of a gospel music scene which flourished in the Church of God in Christ, with regular performances from Smith's compatriot in electric guitar gospel dreams, sister Rosetta Tharp, as well as a steady stream of evangelists and music stars like the Fairfield Four. Casting spells with the electric guitar was one of many ways Utah Smith ensured his congregation's rapt attention. In the name of the show, as well as the Lord, he had himself made a huge pair of seraphim angels' wings and, connected to a system of ropes and pulleys, he would fly around the 1,200-capacity temple. In Lynn Abbott's book, there's a quote from a believer who bore witness to the theatrics and nicely summarises just how impactful these performances were. You ought to have seen Reverend Utah Smith come to your town with his circus tent, opening up the programme with his theme song, I've Got Two Wings, with the sleeves of his flowing white robe practically touching the floor. This 250-pound man would run down the centre aisle, arms spread out and jump 10 feet in the air, backed by a 100-voice choir. Die that we might be free. Jesus 
Apart from the staggering agility of the electric guitar shredding and the deep guttural roar of a voice, the other truly remarkable thing about these recordings is the sound of the choir. The soulfulness and exuberance in their delivery elevates proceedings dramatically from what was already a close to fever pitch starting point. In quite a few places, they steal the show. At all times, their sweetness is the perfect foil for Smith's raw power, and their contribution is exactly the kind of angel dust these songs of exultation required. The names are unlisted, but among the voices is that of Utah Smith's own daughter, sister Sarah James. Clearly, fire and brimstone in the blood is thicker than holy water. Here she is with the sanctified six, whipping up a windstorm of divine proportions. That's Sister Sarah James taking the lead on God Road in on a windstorm in her father's church, backed by the Sanctified Six. The three record company releases of Utah Smith's music were forays into the world of popular music, but by all accounts, it appears no concerted effort was ever made to further that practice as a commercial pursuit. 
The making of the records was, like the use of the electric guitar itself, a means to an end for Reverend Utah Smith, as opposed to the main event itself. The preacher was on a different, shining path to some of the rock and roll pioneers who came soon after in his wake, taking the blueprint and resubmitting the patent. Utah Smith's signature sound of rollicking guitar meets freight train vocals, meets congregational hand claps and call and response routines, had all the ingredients of the explosive sound mix that was about to change the world, but he left it to others to refine the formula and reap the rewards. There is then a purity to his spirited offerings uncorrupted by career manoeuvrings or commercial concerns. Unfortunately, the fire in his belly slowly diminished with his declining health as the 1950s came to a close. With the loss of his sight in 1961 went his ability to play the guitar and with it, sadly, his will to live. By the time of his passing, despite all the fires he had lit and the considerable light he had let in, his world had crumbled into drunkenness, destitution and despair. He lay in an unmarked grave at Carver Memorial Cemetery in Shreveport until the attention generated by Lynn Abbott's book reawakened interest in his legacy and a memorial was crowdfunded and put in place. It reads simply, Electric Guitar Evangelist. I'm going to leave you with an anecdote from the book which perfectly illustrates the extent to which Utah Smith's mission was characterised by an amount of innocence and no little magic. In 1944, Smith's burgeoning reputation saw him invited to New York for a performance at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The promoter recounts how their attempts to find a restaurant in which to eat dinner after the show was somewhat compromised by Reverend Utah Smith's point-blank refusal to remove his giant seraphim wings. I like to picture him walking down 14th Street in the West Village, feeling freshly sanctified after the show, and perhaps secure in the knowledge that there was no part of this brave new world he couldn't conquer on two wings and a prayer. I got a new world in my view. 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 I
Oh, no. Two words, you know.